Longtime fans of the show should be familiar with the lender formerly known as Sue Pullen, and I'm pleased to announce that she's back, fresh off a rebrand and ready to help as Sue Mackey. Sue is a certified mortgage advisor at Fairway Independent Mortgage, an equal housing lender who focuses on finding the right product for you and your needs. She has over 20 years of experience helping thousands of homeowners. Whether it's purchasing, refinancing, or even a reverse mortgage, Sue will help. Sue's licensed in 36 states now, so reach out and let Sue Mackey it happen for you. The best way to reach her is just give her a call at 520-977-7904 or in an email, spullen at fairwaymc.com. Fairway Independent Mortgage has an MLS number of 2289. Sue Mackey has an MLS number of 206048. That email again, spullen at fairwaymc.com. And that phone number is 520-977-7904. Shoot Sue an email and let her know she needs to update that address. Disclaimer time. This is where I tell everyone to lighten up. It's just a podcast. Trading is like that roller coaster at the amusement park. Thrilling, unpredictable, and potentially stomach-churning. What works for one person might leave another clutching their hat in the wind. Our hosts and guests, they're awesome, knowledgeable, full of insights, but we're not financial advisors. So don't rush to make any investment decisions based solely on our banter. Always consult with a professional or do your own research. Plus, let's face it, we like to have fun, laugh, enjoy the trading ride together. It's all in the name of good podcasting fun. So remember, take it easy, don't bet the farm, and keep your seatbelts on at all times. Thank you for listening. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the China Shop, home of the Band of Traders. I am your host, Kyle, and joining me today is not only Baba Yaga of Banta Trading, but also got an old friend from Trade Pro Academy, Victorio Stepanov. Vico has been a regular guest over the past three years, so if you like what you hear today, then you'll have plenty of content to catch up from his past appearances. Uh, before we get into the, our discussion about order flow and volume profile, though, please feel free to reach out with any suggestions, corrections, or questions for future guests. Do that via email at bandoftraderspodcast at gmail.com, or you can join our free Discord server, where a bunch of amazing people gather to share our struggles and lessons learned with other like-minded market aficionados. Inside that Discord, you can also find our discount links for TradePro Academy if you'd like to learn more about how Vico trades. I see Vico sitting up in his chair. You might not have known that that was still active. <laughs> All those links will be available in the episode description, so you can explore them after we welcome Vico back. Uh, speaking of which, man, how you been? Still traipsing around Europe? Good man. Thank you for having me back. Yeah. Um I've 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 settled down a little more for the I guess like past few months and for the next few months here in Bulgaria with like my family because I got a I got a few things to, to settle down before I start moving again, like property, taxes, lawyers, blah blah blah. Okay. So I have to be I have to be in one place for for a set period of time at least. But yeah, it's been it's been good. Winter is not really been winter. <laughs> is Bulgaria going to be the the new home base then? You think? I well, for the next few months, I, I'm going to go back to Spain in uh, at the end of March slash April. But I, I've I've been sanctioned here for a bit. I got a I got a few things to to figure out before I leave. But it's it's been it's been nice. It's it's, it's better to to sit in like one spot. I find for a little more extended period of time than constantly hopping around. I feel like it affects my trading a little better as well, and just my general like know how of the market. That's a good point. Yeah, I mean, you're constantly finding yourself in different places. It might make it difficult to get that comfort level again. Yeah, that's what I don't like too too much about it. There's obviously certain things that make it a little easier to to travel and trade, but. I find that if I'm not in a place for at least like a month, it's it's a little overkill. Yeah. Um, 
Baba, you're pretty much straight out of home, right? You don't ever have to find yourself on the move. Yeah, I primarily am. I mean, I have a big family. So, yeah, primarily trading from the same chair at the same desk with the same setup every day. I, I do find, though, I was talking to someone, and it could have been on uh, Town Hall or something recently. I feel like when I do go on vacation, and I and it's going to be a vacation that I plan to trade, and I take a couple monitors and stuff, um, I don't know if it's to change a senior or something, but I find myself like incredibly inspired. Like I'm like really excited about it for some reason. And mm. that seems kind of weird, but I've typically traded really well on like vacations where we're somewhere for, you know, seven to 10 days. So I'm, I'm going to trade a little while I'm there. So I don't know how I would do trading from different time zones and then also different locations. Cause typically if, if we're traveling, it may be a two hour difference in time zone, but I'm not going across the, I'm not going across the world and taking a computer with me to trade. Right. I can tell you that. It's a it's a good point that you bring up about the time zones because like I'm I'm so used to the European time zone. I'll do like EU sessions. I don't necessarily love trading the New York session, uh, but I'll do it here and there as well. Smaller risk. But when I went back to Canada for the holidays to see my parents, it was maybe the worst like two weeks starting stretch of the year I've had oh, like man. in trading. <laughs> Like it was like worst percentage profitability, just like bad trades. I just wasn't used to the time zone, like waking up that early and just like getting into the chair right away. So it's it's a big it's a big change. Like over the past year, I've been EU time zone, so I fully understand where you're coming from with the. I think it's just difficult. So how's things going over at Trade Pro? It's been about a year that, since I think you took over the reins from George. Yeah, it's it's going good. We've uh, like we've. I've kind of just been beating into people's has the importance of like volume profiles and like volume in general, not to say like order flow and everything is the be all and end all. But I think getting a very solid understanding of how markets move based on volume, like regardless of what it is, generally I lean on a volume profile is I think it's very, very important for people to uh, learn over like price action and like candlesticks and whatnot, like the way that I see it, at least. Um, there's, there's just more to be said about understanding the flow of movement, balances, direction, stuff like that when it comes to, when it comes to reading volume. So it's, it's been a lot of that recently. Um, it's growing, it's, it's doing well. And George has decided to come back like bits and pieces, right? He's slowly coming back into the mix, uh, getting Mm -hmm. back into trading. Um, and he's been in the room, like on and off for the past like two weeks, like more so the latter part of those two weeks, he's been more active and getting back into trading and it's been good, right? He's looking at the same stuff as I am. So nothing's changed. From <laughs> <laughs> I, I still got to listen to the latest episode of Mind Over Markets that George put out. Oh yeah. He's doing the podcast as well, right? Yeah. Coming back in full force. I'll make sure I link that if people want to check that out. I know people, there are a lot of big fans, um, from mm-hmm. that. I think a lot of people who found that uh, found us through through George. Mm-hmm. So definitely need to repay that favor. So what has George been up to then? Like he took 2 years off, but Yeah, he was doing a lot of like family stuff and whatnot. Like I feel like he'd be he'd be glad to talk about that on on a podcast coming up. I honestly, I don't know, I can't speak for him, you know. Gotcha. But okay. <laughs> he's, he's doing he was like new new family, right? New dad, so it was like it was a learning curve realistically. Um Yeah. I had a feeling it had something to do with the second baby he just had. Yeah. But she's got a ways to catch up before he gets to Baba's level here. I was about Baba's to say. Got a, you got a basketball team and you're working on some subs, I think. 
<laughs> yeah, we got a crew over here. I was about to say one kid and and or two kids. That's uh, that's light work, man. Come on, George. Send him a message for me. I've got five, bro. Oh my god. Yeah. How many, how many TVs have you bought this year? I don't. Uh, this year only one, but in the last two years, I think I'm we're at like four or five for the downstairs <laughs> den. Oh my because goodness. they they play like you know they're throwing a ball or throwing a toy and it hits the I mean it doesn't take much for a flat screen in there it's it's ruined so I made a rule the last one they broke that I wasn't going to replace it they were going to have to save their own money up and buy a new one and then I broke down and replaced it uh, in December <laughs> your anyways. wife broke you down you but yeah that's honest. much more accurate yeah she was like babe come on <laughs> so but they they've done well they're almost at three months and we haven't taken a, a <laughs> A, a remote controller, a, a video game controller through the TV yet. So I'll have to get you uh, like one of those things they put up to like block the windows or like the convenience stores. Right. You can get one yeah. Of those. yeah. 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 <laughs> you, guys are making, you guys are making having kids sound exquisite. Yeah. I know. <laughs> oh, there's so, definitely upsides to it, but there's. I did downsides. it the smart way. I, I got a starter family. <laughs> there are already 10 and 11 when I jumped into the picture. So already... I got to skip the poopy diapers. <laughs> Uh, one of the things that you put out, the I think it was last year, was the new update to the the Trade Pro courses for the futures trading, and yeah. I made it through most of that. I don't think I finished the fading lesson. I need to go back and and get through those. But you like had completely revamped like the way Trade Pro approaches like teaching new futures traders, and I wonder if you kind of want to speak to like some of the thought process behind why you made those changes. Yeah, I had I had done it because. Like it wasn't necessarily the way that like the old course that was done, I wanna say in like twenty nineteen, what's that like five years ago? Yeah. Um not to say that like futures trading needs to have like the the way that you go about it needs to be redone every like five years or four years or whatever, but it, I wasn't I don't necessarily trade like that, right? It was very focused on uh more like order flow and it was much more discretionary, I wanna put it. Yeah. Um yeah. It was it was very discretionary, and I thought that like I trade. Well, I, I don't want to say that I don't trade discretionary, but it's it's a much bigger balance, more so. Right, there are specific rules that are put in play that could be automated realistically. So I kind of take that approach when it comes to volume. So I wanted to make it something that it was just easier to understand and easier to follow for people, rather than having so much discretion. Right, especially someone coming new into the market trying to read the DOM from the start is just like. <laughs> like impossible it's hell like you're just looking at numbers like what the fuck is this right, can right. we swear on this yeah oh, yeah if you want okay okay i don't know anymore <laughs> <laughs> so like i i wanted to make it less discretionary i want to make it something that i do on a day-to-day basis like consistently so i just made it um centered realistically around like auction market theory or right call it what you will distribution theory volume profiles so on and so forth but it's it's based on how the auctions of the markets work uh, in relation to volume and general volume profiles. And then obviously, um, the secondary aspect is order flow where a little more discretion comes into play, but it's it's more of a secondary piece because I find it's a lot more difficult for people to learn order flow and understand order flow. So I kind of made it like step by step uh, to get you what I believe is like a really good basic understanding of how to actually read a depth of market and what aspects of order flow are important versus not important, especially for people who are trying to figure that out. But mainly the the goal was to make it as, I guess, as least discretionary as possible. Um, 
with obviously the ability to have discretion, if that kind of makes sense. I think so. And I think too, um, like even George, because that was the way George used to trade. I think George was a lot more of like a scalpy type trader too. Mm -hmm. And even George, I think, had moved away from that strategy by the time before he ended up uh, taking the step back. So it only made sense, I think, to kind of update that. And I'm curious if the the updates are more in line with the way George was trading uh, at that time, too. Um, I think there's there's bits and pieces. I think he's like still fairly discretionary and like looking for like smaller, more like scallopy moves. Because like you got to remember, like George. Well, I don't know if you know this actually, so I don't know what you should remember or not. But <laughs> like George um, started off with Anthony Dragger. I don't know if you know who that is actually, but. Um, so. Anthony Drager is like, he used to, I don't know how much of a floor trader he was, but he was on the floor for a bit. Like, mm-hmm. and then he was one of like the pioneers in Chicago that like went from floor to desk. So he worked at a prop in Chicago and this was like in the nineties. So like 2000s, 90s, something like that, like late nineties, early two thousands and Drager, like one of the first, honestly, like trading rooms if you will like on the internet i would say like back back in the day and he took what he knew from like trading prop which was pretty much just like depth of market Mm -hmm. some order flow tools like transitioning into a footprint right so like everything translated into order flow has more of a visual aspect and they traded a lot of like scalping realistically in props so it was where George like started off with, especially on the order flow front. And like Dragger still trades, he still scalps. So it's it's kind of like more ingrained, I guess, and something that he would resonate more with. It's mm-hmm. a lot. It's a lot about like resonating with the system and the trading style in play, right? Not everyone yes. can open up a position and like wait three hours for it to move like 10, 15 points, right? Or it doesn't, or it hits a stop, you know? <laughs> Like, I like that. That's for me. That's fine. But like some people get itchy when they see like a point of profit, you know? Mm -hmm. That's a good point. Yeah. About having to know yourself in order to to find your style. And I think we talked about that quite a bit in in past episodes and roundtables. One of the things that you mentioned there, though, was about making the DOM, the depth of market visual. And Baba, I've heard you talk about that. You've built like your own kind of custom chart to help you visualize the DOM kind of like to hear the two of you guys like kind of talk about your approach like how you interpret uh the dom and how you how you incorporate that your trading yeah i mean so starting out you know my story i was you know i didn't know much about volume orders large orders Uh, that wasn't the 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 angle that i brought like came into the market with and so very much comfortable watching candlesticks form like you know old school back in the day when, you know, we're trading on whatever bogus platform that gives you ridiculous leverage. Right. And then as I like grew into this over the years and especially over the last, you know, five or six years, you know, leaning into pace of tape, large market orders, where is Delta building, you know, where are these orders stacking up and uh, not seeing the kind of follow through that I know I would want to see if I were in a trade. But I mean, it may be like uh, sacrilege to say, but like I would be looking at a DOM on another monitor while and I never have enjoyed executing on a DOM for whatever reason. So I like to execute on a chart and see the trade lines, like see the entry, like entry line, you know, stop loss, TPs up through there, whatever. And so 
I don't know. There was a handful of things that transpired last year, but uh, or two years ago now, I guess. But one of them was wanting to wanting to have that information that I garner off the DOM show up on a small time frame candlestick chart, either like five twelve trade or even like a one minute chart or whatever. So I'd be curious your your thoughts, Vika. I I have a chart that shows delta, so the candles paint at a given threshold of delta. Um, based on three different tiers of delta that gets created within that time frame. Um, I also any market order that's executed over twenty lots on a like single market order that's over twenty or over nineteen, so that it picks up twenty and above, mm-hmm. that gets a bubble and the number of of contracts traded there. And then I have a looking at um, like a ratio of volume per second or volume per millisecond, depending on how you want to decode it. I have a thing that will like light up the background of that um, given ch- candle when we exceed a threshold of pace on the tape. And so pretty much if I'm watching, I have a volume profile as well. I can kind of see the aspects of the DOM and order flow that I want to see. And for me, it's helpful to see that in the context of the time that it has transpired um, or the amount of volume if I'm on a volume chart. Um, what are your thoughts about that? And are there any other things that you consider when you're looking at DOM, time and sales, tape, when you're trying to, you know, let's say we're coming into a corner of the market, you're trying to find an entry, right? Is it like kind of like a, does it look like a footprint? Is it like a candle? I'm trying to just like visualize in my head. Um, It, it looks like a regular candle chart. Okay. The only piece, the only thing I don't have is, is like I have a footprint chart on, on the monitor where my DOM used to live. And okay. that's what I'll look at for like the the detail detail of what you would pull off a footprint chart. But everything is like it would look like a normal candlestick chart. Some people call it a Skittles chart because those large market orders oh, come up okay. as a little bubble. And then they have the size of orders. So there's like blue and orange, you know, popping up when these mm-hmm. big orders pop. And then Delta, the Delta as it's created in a candle, it just colors it and paints it. So it looks like a regular candlestick chart except there's all these colorations some background highlighting and these order bubbles and then if i want to look at the footprint um to like see how we're like auctioning a low or something like that then i have a a footprint um a bid ass footprint chart that i keep on a real small like 512 ticks and i'll watch it for you know like that Mm -hmm. sharp edge I should point out that Bob is trading nq also um i don't know if you want to post the image of your charts in the discord chat that we have here i can throw it oh up. yeah i can do that for sure i can yeah, link no that worries. to the episode too that way you can kind of get a feel what you're looking at yeah let me let me grab one here uh, cool i'll i'll wait for the picture but based on what what you say like i think i think the the creation of of delta is uh pretty important i think it's one of the it's one of the main things that i look at because especially when you're talking about nq the the orders come in like they fly in really really quickly like i know a lot of people like to have visuals especially large orders traded on nq i like that as well i'm not much of a visual person personally right i'm going to start off by saying that i like just like the numbers but i think it helps a lot of people have that visual understanding especially when you're trading nq it's a very thin market like you're trading nearly well you're not trading 18,000 right now but you're trading close to 18,000 and this thing moves, I think, on average, like, what, 250 points a day or something. Like, I think having those visual aspects when you're trading a quick market like that are very important, um, realistically. So the formation of Delta, the large trades that come in, I see where that 
would be extremely helpful. I think that I've even started looking for something that that's similar on the NASDAQ because like when I look at the DOM is just, I can't look at the DOM on the NASDAQ. <laughs> it kind of, it kind of hurts, but like, I don't know. I'm, I'm the type of person where I'm very, very good with like numbers and like the visualization of numbers, understanding numbers. So it's, it's not that terrible, but I can see where it would be harmful realistically. So I think that having some kind of visual representation is, is good. Like what you've covered the formation of delta, the reaction of um, of large orders that come in in speed. That's literally how I read order flow. Like it's all about for me just reactions and speed. Are they going to like like today for example? Right on the ES, we're trading down to like the forty nine. Like we're we're trading down from forty nine sixty eight down to like sixty four, and like they just kept selling, 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 selling. But no one's following through. I'm like, okay, shit, these guys are probably going to turn this thing around. But Nasdaq happens extremely quickly. So when you get that kind of visualization, let's see what this picture looks like. This this is a lot less convoluted than a, what I thought it would be in my mind, honestly, but <laughs> <laughs> so it's even better. Yeah, this is, I, I do like it, honestly. Like you've got these, the I'm, I assume that these like Skittle bubbles size differently compared to how large the actual trades are. Um, and then what are, what are the red and green candles? Some are highlighted, some are not. Yeah, so if it's uh, if it's highlighted green, that's a del- It's like a threshold of delta. So for this trade, this chart is seven hundred and fifty volume per uh, per candle. So this is like a definitely a you know get your entry chart. You know, it's not you're not looking for market structure necessarily. Mm-hmm. Um, and then my thresholds for this in seven hundred and fifty volume, um, like that the there's a normal green that's like one uh greater than 100 delta created positive in that in that 750 volume that came through the um there's another color green that's greater than 200 and then the baby blue bar would be a delta threshold of greater than 300 positive delta was created when mm-hmm. that as that 750 volume unfolded and then conversely the pink is the is the highest negative delta greater than 300 red is greater than 200 and then there's like a lighter colored one um another color that you know but usually it's what well, i like i like the i really pay the most attention to the extremes unless i'm positioned if i'm positioned in a in a which kyle was around for this like i was sure if i'm looking for like um like so i traded this i traded this uh short side trades off of this upper high volume edge today mm-hmm. and when i got positioned uh in the first one I'm backside scalping. I've already made a decent take for the day. So I'm trading smaller size and I want to see kind of immediate reaction. So I got into um, a short, we moved down on basically no negative Delta and like took a big order right at the lows and didn't follow through. So mm-hmm. like, that's a key sign for me to get stops to break even and just be fine if we, if we roll back up. But once we see the follow through, which, which I like to see those, like the red candles, I don't need a purple candle to show follow through. I just like to see the the red candles get that strong offer, and then I like to see those get reoffered, which is what we got kind of when the leg finally broke the first, you know, like fifty points of that move down. Mm-hmm. So it just helps me, and I don't have to look away, like to look at the dom and track it, and it's easier to go back and reference what happened. I think that's been the biggest thing for me is like going back and looking at where the market turned and go, okay, what 
what was true of the order flow in that moment, what was true of the delta in that moment, and how quickly or not did that all unfold? Because it's hard to look at the DOM and, and revert. And like, I mean, I guess you can do chart replays, but uh, you know, that's been the thing for me that's like being able to look at the history of, of what does a good high look like when it gets put in and through, mm-hmm. through a lens of order flow. And I don't, I don't know. It was just something I thought would, would help me. That's why I made it. And actually I ended up being a lot of people actually enjoy using it for the same reasons, but. I think, I think that's, I think it's pretty important. Like a few things that you said, like uh, one of the things like going back and like seeing what actually like creates a move or doesn't create a move, like in terms of a back test, I, I think that's, that's really important for people to understand because like when it comes down to order flow, the way I see it and the way I like talk to people about it is that it's just like patterning, right? It's very consistent patterns that might look slightly different because the numbers are always going to be different, but it's going to be the con like same patterning, same patterning. If you want to find a major high, people are most likely getting stuck on the long side and people are selling, right? If you want to find a major low, people are most likely stuck on the short side and people are starting to buy. So looking back on this, I, I like the visual. I think that regardless of what kind of visual you have or what kind of order flow you're looking at or where you're starting off, I think it's just very, very important people for people to understand like the basis of what exactly is going on. So like, I, I like the visual. So for example, what you were saying is, okay, when you see like a lot of people getting trapped into a high and like actual sellers following through, right, that creates a move to the downside rather than someone looking at a dumb and being like, okay, well, shit, I have like 7,000 numbers on this. Like what, like, what are we doing? <laughs> what are we doing here, folks? What are we doing? Well, it, it's tough for the new trader. Like when I first started looking at things like these, like I see, oh, there's a thousand people buying up here at this top. That means it must be going up. It's yes. not necessarily the case. Like, in fact, actually, that's kind of what you want to see for a trade to get the downside, because that's going to have the higher risk to reward kind of factor. I get kind of conflicted sometimes when like, I think I think that it's extremely important to learn the DOM, but then from another perspective, I think that it's rare for people to understand the DOM and it's easier for them to learn the visual. So like kind of meeting somewhere in the middle of understanding the theory of the DOM, but maybe looking at something visual that makes sense to them would be the best, Mm -hmm. right? Because I think that like, People bring in the footprint and they're like, holy fuck, this is the holy grail. But then you ask someone to explain the footprint. <laughs> you, you ask someone to explain the footprint, they're like, I have no idea. Like, I see pretty numbers. Like, yeah, yeah. Right. I actually got yeah. rid of all my DOMs and most of my order flow type stuff. I have still the high volume trades like Baba has. I've got um, the Power Tower, uh, which is a Delta custom indicator that Robert made mm-hmm. for our group based on some work that uh, Purdue did for her. Mm-hmm. But like I found that it's easier for me to actually see it watching the candles. I can watch the candles bounce and I'm looking for those like like you talk about the high reactivity points. Like when somebody sells like, you know, 20, 30, 40 lots here into this low and then we bounce on like low volume up orders. That's a sign for me to to get interested. Mm-hmm. But I can see that better on a candlestick chart than I can watching the DOM, which is kind of weird. I think that's the case for most people, though. I don't think, like, the DOM is something that, like, everyone's going to learn or they have to learn realistically. Like, I I think it would be the best, right, outcome, realistically, if people could learn it more effectively. But a lot of people just beat their heads off the wall because maybe they don't understand exactly what they should be looking at and how to be reading this thing, or it's just, like, too jumbled. I think it's because... an application problem. I think 
people tend to stare at the thing that they think is going to find them their entry. And then they have a hard time pulling away from it to reset, to go back to the high time frames and say, okay, this is not a spot I'm interested in. I need to not look at this thing because it's going to trick me into seeing entries when there aren't any. Yeah, no, that's, that's a hundred percent true as well. Right. Like I think it's, it's probably like a mix of those two things where one, they are not necessarily sure what they should be looking at it versus what they shouldn't be looking at. And two, like, you do get so stuck, suck it, sucked into this thing. Mm-hmm. Like, if I'm looking at it right now, like, it's like, okay, I, I don't really want to touch this right now. But, like, if I'm looking at it, you have numbers that are just flashing everywhere that look like they could be potential trades, realistically. And that's always the case. I feel like people, they get sucked in or they go into a tilt when they're just, like, super, super focused on, like, the tiniest of movements, even when it comes to, like, candles and whatnot. Like, mm-hmm. if you're using, like like a minute chart or something very small, right? I'm obviously exaggerating. I don't know, but I have a 30 seconds. Yeah. (laughs) Like I don't really look at candles, but like, let's say like a 30 second or whatever is very small. If you look at that, like within a five minute period, right? You have so many candles that might look like this biggest like range or this biggest trend when in reality it's moved five points, Mm -hmm. right? Right. (laughs) So it was just like zeroing into anything is just like super toxic in trading. Like the best that you could do because, well, from my perspective, because I don't scalp, like I'm looking for these like larger moves. I'm looking for things that have the potential to have big moves. Like the the worst thing you can do is just zero in on these like small areas. And I think it's very difficult, right? If you're mainly looking at like auction market theory or volume profiles to get sucked into these small movements. Mm-hmm. Sorry, I didn't mean yeah. to derail things. Go ahead, Baba. No, I think that's, well, I mean, we've talked about that. Like the the Skittles chart or whatever, or whatever we want to call it, like, I'm not looking, I'm only looking to that chart when I get somewhere that seems to, that that I have, you know, identified. So, and I think that should just be the blanket statement for everybody. Like, you can trick yourself or you can lull yourself into an entry anywhere, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and so, I think the volume profile side of things is at least one way to to focus your attention. Okay. When we get to this high volume edge, that's where I don't know what's going to happen, but I know something's going to happen. Something's going to go down when we get down there. either we're going to rip through that. And then we're going to have an, an opportunity on the backside, or that's where sellers or buyers should step up by depending on which way we're going, being able to identify like key spots um, for this discussion using the volume profile. And then zoom in the lens, you know, um, zoom in the lens to a dom, zoom in the lens to, to whatever, um, yep. because you're hundred percent right. Like that's, you know, good trading tells you where you don't want to do business just as much as it tells you where you do. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. Vico, I, I remember you talking a lot about the gateways to the, the ledges being like the gateways to the next like areas, like the next mm-hmm. rotation points. Uh, I don't know if you want to kind of speak a little bit more to that. Yeah, like I, I mainly look at like distributions as like bellies and like areas of well, they're they're areas of balance, right? Like mm-hmm. that's that's what they are. When like price stays in a balance, they want to stay in a balance. When they get out of a balance, they expect to continue in that direction. I've found like those areas combined with order flow help you understand uh, like what in theory is is happening in the market, right? Like I'll give you an example at. Um, on the S and P, because I've I, I mainly still trade the S and P. Like I'll trade Nasdaq a decent bit, but I notice I notice these orders on the S and P because they're just a lot larger when they're trapped or when they're 
like very strong. It's just it, it's easier to see mm-hmm. on the S and P. Like a a week ago, I believe there was a lot a lot of selling in between an area five zero zero four five zero zero eight, right? That like four point area. There was so much selling and price just couldn't and couldn't and couldn't break through. I remember that day. So, that area, right, is a decent ledge on a larger profile. It's an area where volume drops off pretty aggressively. It's an area where volume gets cut off into that low. So not only from a volume profile perspective, but from an order flow perspective, not that I'm 100% guaranteed or sure, but it's a very, very high probability that if those shorts get unstuck, right, you have a very, very large move to the downside that's worth at least 20, 30 points mm-hmm. right, into the next area. So when those shorts got unstuck, thanks to CPI, right, where did we find ourselves? 40 points lower, right? Oh, is that all ES did? Oh, sorry. <laughs> it's it's, all, it's all it did from that spot. I mean, yeah, but yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, like, well, yeah, NASDAQ obviously moves like 300 points a day. Oh, no. now, 40 <laughs> points. It's because what it is, is like, as an inefficient trader, I need a product that moves a big amount of points. Yeah. So longtime fans of the show should be familiar with the lender formerly known as Sue Pullen. And I'm pleased to announce that she's back fresh off a rebrand and ready to help as Sue Mackey. Sue is a certified mortgage advisor at Fairway Independent Mortgage, an equal housing lender who focuses on finding the right product for you and your needs. She has over 20 years of experience helping thousands of homeowners. Whether it's purchasing, refinancing, or even a reverse mortgage, Sue will help. Sue's licensed in 36 states now, so reach out and let Sue Mackey it happen for you. The best way to reach her is just give her a call at 520-977-7904 or in an email, spullen at fairwaymc.com. Fairway Independent Mortgage has an MLS number of 2289. Sue Mackey has an MLS number of 206048. That email again, spullen at fairwaymc.com. And that phone number is 520-977-7904. Shoot Sue an email and let her know she needs to update that address. Um, when you said from a larger, so this is a question, if you said from a larger volume profile perspective, what, what type of uh, volume profiles do you keep like as a reference? Um, I know like, I know the ones we often do, but what's your, what's your, what's your reference timeframes for your volume profiles? Yeah. I like to have like a cumulative one that like displays about like three months of data. So like a quarter. Okay. Um, and then I'll have like a monthly profile, a weekly profile. But when I, when I talk about from like a larger profile perspective, I mainly, uh, refer to the quarterly one, 50, 60 days, something like that, (laughs) that has like a culmination of like those that like that past quarter. Right. Bob, are you laughing because you have the same settings on your chart or are you? No, no, I'm laughing because I'm like, man, am I leaving money on the table? Not looking at that big of a volume profile. So Mm. I I do look at a, um, or at least perspective. I mean, and I think what everything we're talking about is how do you organize this data, right? Yeah. Yeah. At At the end of the day, it's all data, whether it's a Skittles chart or watching the Dom, you're still trying to quantify this down to something actionable. I, I look, I have a weekly volume profile, a daily volume profile a 20 day volume profile. So those are my three, Mm -hmm. those are my three kind of ranges uh, and then the session as it develops. But I mean, you got me thinking like, what's the harm in throwing a 60 day profile up just out of, uh, just to have a large, that one bigger picture, you know, context might be super interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Because the, the, the way that I see it, the way that I look at it is like, obviously it depends on your trading style, right? I, I can assume that you don't scalp, 
right? Based on what we've been talking about. So like I personally, I swing a lot as well, like on futures. So I'll hold positions overnight and then I'll, I, I'm up on the EU session. So like I'll open positions throughout the EU session with the expectations of like larger moves. And like a lot of those, um, a lot of those moves, I find them on like larger profiles, especially where volume really thins out, where auctions need to be complete upside or downside, whatever the case is. Like I was short NASDAQ at 960 today, like pre-market in the EU session. It was about 3 a.m. Eastern time. Obviously, you guys aren't going to be awake at that time, but well, sometimes or you might. I don't know. <laughs> Depends <laughs> on if we recorded the night before. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Yeah. Like a lot of the positions that I find are on these like larger, larger scale, like um, volume profile charts, because the way that I saw it, like if I got stopped out on that 960, I was going to short it one more time, one Mm -hmm. more time. I was going to short a little higher, but based on that, right, the way that I saw it on a larger scale profile is like, we've already exited distribution. We had a failed high yesterday. Based on this, I've got about 150 ish points to the downside from this area Mm -hmm. to like complete an auction lower, right? And if I got stopped out on that, I would have shorted one more time a bit higher. I believe it was like 820-ish or whatever the number was. It was a bit higher. But again, right, I'm looking for a move that completes an auction that has, like, if it has, like, from the area that I'm looking at to the area that has, like, volume being built out again, if it's, like, 100, 150 points, like, I'm looking for something like that. If it's not there and, like, the area is too small, like, it's not worth that large of a trade or that large of an expected swing. And like, I find all of these realistically on that like quarterly um, chart. Yeah. That's a really interesting spot too, because of everything that transpired into the close before like yesterday's close or mm-hmm. yeah, prior day's close. Was that the spot you were t- uh, messaging me uh, last night telling me to watch for a reoffer? Literally, like, so that's the thing that kind of is a little, that was actually, to be honest, from my trading today, that was a little bit of this, a little bit of a little stab that was still in my soul because I told, I messaged you and uh, a couple of people and just said, hey, like, be mindful of like a good reoffer tonight um, for like, for this move from continuation move down. And then I didn't even look at the charts last night after saying that, <laughs> but Ouch. yeah, that where you're executing that 960 is so saucy because you're basically like all of that selling that came in to the close and then that little distribution from like the 40s up to the like the 90s or whatever. Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah, that's incredibly saucy. That's a that's a really good trade. I tried to short everything last night. I just like leave limits and I remember. <laughs> <laughs> I only got filled on NASDAQ. I had I had SPX options, puts, open, limits, because they trade all night. I had limits on the ES. I had limits on RTY, and only NASDAQ filled. And I was like, oh, you son of a bitch. Yeah, at least you got well, something. Well, I mean, NASDAQ should have paid you nicely, though, for that. It did. No, it did. Like, the thing dropped, like, 200 points. I can't complain. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But, like, those, like, like, coming back to that, like, Honestly, I've thought about this before where people have asked me, like, you know what, do I really need to read the order flow? Can I just trade based on like a profile chart? The short answer is like, yes, but also you have to consider how much risk you're taking, what the potential of those trades are. Because if someone gave me 15 point stops on the ES, like I could probably do okay with it. But like a 15 point stop on the ES, what is that, like 750 bucks per contract? It's just like, it's a little rich for that. Mm-hmm. On the NASDAQ, maybe I can do it with like 40, 50 point stop, but then I'm looking at a grand per lot of risk, you know? Right. right. 
is just it's it's a lot but have you ever like thought about that have you ever considered that because i know like order flow sometimes it, it is a pain in the ass especially like at the beginning when you were looking at this and learning was it something that that came to mind uh the risk aspect well, just like, let's say just trading from like only a profile. Only right? a profile. Or just pure candlesticks. Yeah, I mean, for me, I I think part of my desire to, you know, even building that chart, but also just learning more was always to try to be able to define my risk more and more accurately. Mm-hmm. Um, and when you're looking at, you know, just like you're talking about, if you take you know, this big volume profile, okay, I have a key spot here. And then you look, you know, if, if it's fractal in nature, to some extent, you're going to be able to narrow that lens from, uh, hey, there's a 50 point range to like, okay, maybe there's a 25 point range that I want to execute in. And that was that was me today. Like I, I wanted to execute somewhere on that on this, if you look at a 20 day profile on this high volume edge coming back up to 93 on NQ, like I, I figured I wasn't super surprised by the push up off the lows. Um, and my whole thing was what it'll really come down to what we do between like 66 and 93 mm-hmm. into that, like heart of that LVN, the top of value from a 20 day profile, blah, blah, blah. There's also some structural stuff there that we had, but then the, what I think the order flow or I don't know, I guess the like large market orders, Delta pace of tape, all of that gets that 30 point range or 20 something point range down to like, you know, an, an eight point stop on entry where if I don't see the follow through I want in, um, in the pace I want, I can flatten out of that position and try again if we move higher, because I'm looking for a reaction much like the one we finally got out of there, but it took, it took a minute for it to come to fruition. So I think, I think I could trade moderately well with broader risk into key spots from a volume profile, but I don't think I could be nearly as profitable because of the risk you would have to assume. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. I think that's always the case. Like that's, that's why like, not that I've had arguments about it, but like discussions about like volume profiles versus order flow, like why even bother with bother with order flow? And exactly what you said, you can just narrow down the entry and the risk like so much tighter. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And why not? Like, and the other thing is, I guess if you made a strategy for, okay, I'm going to be only volume profile, man. I'm never looking at order flow again. Uh, order flow as we define it, large market trade orders, pace of tape, delta, da, da, da. I guess you could develop a strategy for that where you start with a starter position and then you scale into it or whatever. I mean, sure, any anyone can do anything. But for me, even in that scenario, I would rather scale in to a position have it, knowing that my stop was pretty tidy to start with rather than scale into a, you know, 35 point range just and then you're and then when you get all your size on, then you're it's serious then you know like i mean <laughs> it doesn't have to be it doesn't have to be just order flow or nothing like you could also right. use things like short time frame like structure like waiting for that to break in a key spot or, or other there's other tools that you can use for confirmation oh, yeah, for but sure. i think the point yeah. is that you need something for confirmation in order to limit that risk yeah, it's yeah, like exactly. you need a structure so you need like a structural understanding of the market mm-hmm. and then you need executionable strategies and that complement that well that's that i mean that's our whole take on it you know like or my whole take on it like i want to i want to know where i am with regard to value and balance 
from a day-to-day time frame. And then that really builds a big part of the expectation of what I think could actually happen. And then from there, yeah, then I'll look at a 20-day profile, look at the four-hour chart, whatever. And then once you kind of, you get that structural piece settled, like, okay, here's where we ought to be doing business today. Then where do you want to be a part of the business of the, of the day? And then, and then, yeah, how, how, I mean, Anything that you can use to narrow your risk or confirm or keep you out of a trade, I think is huge. I don't, I think people, I wonder Vico, your thoughts on this, because mm-hmm. you're in, you're in a corner of the, of the educational world that is very much order flow volume profile. And I would say that's like it's a hinge pin of what we, what I do every day, mm-hmm. but we've seen a lot of times people have such an allegiance to what they're doing that it's almost like they build a wall and they just throw rocks over it at anyone who's different. <laughs> and, and, and I kind of subscribe to the, like the moniker that Kyle mentioned one time when we were recording that there's treasure everywhere. Mm-hmm. Like, I really think there's interesting things that other people do that if I can take a little piece from what this person's doing and a little piece from what I learned over here, you know, you kind of take something that someone else has done and make it into your own system, kind of Frankenstein your approach. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You've done that with Purdue and the way he looks at balance. Uh, exactly. It sounds yeah, like you're going to be adding some new things to your volume profile charts. I am. After today. Thanks Vico. <laughs> yeah. So, so for you, like um, what, how do you interact with, stuff like that like how do you incorporate new stuff incorporate you know what's that look like that's a good question like the way the way that i see it is um it's kind of in the middle what i mean by that is like i've developed something that's worked for years now and i haven't changed anything so i'm not in the market to look to change anything personally (laughs) you know like it's I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna mess around with something that's just been providing money, you know, like for me, it's, it's that but guarding the process. Yeah, like, I don't want to mess with that process. But to add to that, there are things that I do and use that could be looked at at a different way or simplified, meaning like the charting itself from a visual perspective, that I won't mind changing to make it a little simpler for me. But the general process of how things are done doesn't necessarily change like for example i'm not going to add a footprint chart to my trading right Mm -hmm. i trade a lot on the dom i'm not going to add like whatever it is right to to whatever my charts look like i'm not going to change them that much but right if there's something that might look interesting on let's say a different frame of profiles or if i can add like a large volume indicator on my chart that like kind of like makes it a little more visual, like I'll do something like that, right? Rather than kind of add more charts and change them too much, I'd rather build on what I already have that could be simplified in in a sense to like make it a little easier for me to to make decisions. Yeah, but definitely guarding the process is a big piece. And I think people go one of two ways. And we've seen it's like either someone's looking to reinvent everything about how they trade like every three months it seems like oh that's it this doesn't work anymore i'm out out. i'm on to something new it's like ah i don't think that's the way yeah or they're just like it's almost like they're a part of some random cult and like you know like if you don't say their words their way like you're you're not a part (laughs) and you're an idiot baba i kind of i kind of went through something similar i think to the first thing that you mentioned where like i've turned it down so many times but over the past like six months i think since we've kind of hooked up and been working closer together 
Like, I think what's actually ended up happening is all those teardowns now, like I've gone back through and sifted through all that rubble and like pulled out the pieces that actually made sense. And that's kind of how I built my approach now. I think that's like a, that's like a classic for like newer traders though, realistically, someone that's trying to find like something that they connect with that works for them because realistically newer traders have shiny ball syndrome, you know, they see someone doing well (laughs) online. RSI, (laughs) what is that? (laughs) <laughs> yeah, like they'll see they'll see someone post like tens of thousands of dollars in profits and be like, holy shit, let's go trade XYZ strategy. You know what I mean? Like, and people jump from thing to thing without like you were saying, right? After three months, maybe it doesn't work. Well, no shit, right? My strategy doesn't work 100%. That's impossible. <laughs> but like, like people don't give it enough time. They don't allow for things to work out. They don't allow for themselves to generate a sample size of what they've done to get some kind of feedback off of the system so that they jump from thing to thing right like that's i'm not saying this is right i'm not saying this is the only way to do it but like the way i see it is i like to introduce volume profiles and whatnot because that is what works for me that i've seen it work for many other people that i've seen people make money from it. it's just the basis of how volume and markets move right so Mm -hmm. i think it's a very important piece of the puzzle so start with that right learn that learn learn a bit of that then you start making it your own realistically i think that's gonna like for every trader, if I give you my strategy today and you give me yours and you make money and I make money, I'm probably guaranteed not to make money with yours. Right. right? Like, yeah, it's just not going to work that way. Like you, you have to make it your own, but I think that the core basics of market movement, right. Order flow of structure of price action, of, of auction market theory, these basics that don't change, right. They haven't changed for decades. Those are the things that people have to learn the basis of, right? And then there's like malleability in that. But people that start off with like shiny balsam and they jump from strategy to strategy trying to like learn random shit, it's it's just like never going to kind of manifest into anything, right? Yeah. And I think, I feel like for me, the core of how I look at what each day, the potential of each day and where I want to interact always starts from value balance volume profile and i use a tpo chart as well like so i got tpo on one side volume profile on the other side of each day and that informs me of like the structure and then i think there's a i have a little more flexibility i have found i've tried to be more flexible over the last six months as to what things um, i'm looking at for execution Um, i might I might adopt, a, you know, I might play with the chart for a little while on some random idea I had you know, working late one night on stuff. And then, you know, maybe it sticks, maybe it doesn't. Like that part is a little more flexible. I do think the understanding of the structure and the, and the market as a whole really does. I mean, it kind of boils down to of the, mar- the market and how it's auctioned and where we found interest and where we haven't. I mean... Yeah, I think people would be hard pressed to make a case that that oh that just doesn't matter at all. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I don't think I've ever heard anybody say that, but that'd probably be a big old red flag. <laughs> yeah, like to what Bob was saying, like there are certain things that stay very very consistent, right? And you can't, like, you just can't avoid these things, right? If you if you replace those core aspects, whatever they may be, right? However, they may be represented with some kind of indicator like an RSI and a MACD. And like that's all you're doing. I feel like there's <laughs> there's very limited potential in that. <laughs> oh, that was a really nice way of saying that. I know, man. right? Very tactful. Yeah. Uh, I'm kind of curious, Vico, if you've ever looked into uh, like quarterly theory. That's some of the stuff that Baba and Banks have been really kind of like leaning into lately. 
um, expand on that. I'll have to let Baba do it because I will butcher the shit out of it if I do. <laughs> That's all right. Um, so I have to either give the credit or blame to to Banks. So he was he he just had been exploring like time. The time stuff evolves, which we know that like time matters from the standpoint of like pace, like pace of something yeah. unfolding and all of that. But even like structuring, um, maybe how we're looking at sessions for the day um, into like chunks instead of going from the open of like, you know, 1800 Eastern time is when Globex opens to like that classic 3 a.m. Euro open. Like that's usually that time block taking that and chunking it up into like, you know, for us to be six Eastern to 12 Eastern. Like, so that first quarter of the entire 24 hours that's about to unfold and Mm. viewing that as a, a block of inventory and then going Mm -hmm. to the next quarter and viewing that as a block of inventory. And there's a lot of nuance to some like creative and interesting patterns that seem to play out and nuance to that. But then also if you just even one of the simple ones is just looking at the volume profiles from those quarters. Mm -hmm. Um, And so, you know, are we, uh, are we overlapping value higher? Did we abandon value and express like, higher on exploration are we moving into a prior section of value or balance from that and then you know i mean you can extrapolate it up or down in time to look at the Mm -hmm. week kind of disregard the madness of opex friday and look at monday tuesday wednesday thursday as the four quarters of the week um it's just been an interesting way again to organize information that we found um but i haven't met i haven't ran into a lot of people that are that are playing with that so much yeah, I I personally don't right to start to start off with that, but there are there is there are a lot of statistics backing like time and days and uh, volume based on certain days or times throughout the throughout the sessions. I I get that right. I know a lot of people, mainly quants, right. I know a few quants that kind of look at that data. That's what it has. There's more statistics that back it. Um, ranges in specific times, right? Stuff like that. It's not necessarily something I focus on because one, like, I think it's just, I br- you would bring in a lot of like statistical value into it. And it's just not something for me necessarily because I'm like, I'm not a quant. I'm not going to sit here like <laughs> tinkering on Excel, you know, <laughs> the easiest way to put it. Like I, there could be some statistical value. I never thought of it for my trading my my trading and like the way that i see the market is actually complete opposite where i have just fluidity in time zones like for me i don't look at sessions differently i don't look at times differently like the only thing i care about is where volume created imbalances in price mm-hmm. right like otherwise it doesn't necessarily matter to me too much as to at what time period that is now at the beginning like when i did start trading it was more important to me because of like what people had told me, right? Like if I was like learning from someone and they're like, oh, the US Open, like this is when you want to trade, which is true, right? You do want to trade the highest volume sessions, right? Which is usually the US Open and the US Close, right? Mm-hmm. Those mm-hmm. two hour blocks into the start and to the end of the day, they generally have the most volume. That's that's fair. The ones that have the least volume are probably going to be the overnight session for, or I guess the EU session, the Asian session probably have less volume. But the more and more I look at profiles and develop like the system and strategy a little closer to what I trade. It just, 
I looked at it and I was like, what does it really matter at what time these things happen? Like, as long as the volume's there, the imbalances are there, like, I can set my risk on and, like, whatever happens, happens. It doesn't have to move in 10 seconds. It can move in three hours. It's fine. Yeah. Mm -hmm. No, I think that's great. I mean, it. I think it was probably three and a half months of my trading partner that I've traded with for years talking about that before I even, like, honestly even, like, paid any attention to what he was know. saying yeah. but i was like oh man if you're gonna be talking about this all the time i at least need to know about it and then i kind of <laughs> dug into some of it and um you know it is definitely worked its way into how you know i'm looking at the days and like swing lows that i want to target and things like that it creates some um some you know good targets and good perspectives on how things are unfolding but again it comes back to like with proper risk and decent execution, you can kind of make anything work, you know, mm-hmm. per se. Yeah. So, yeah, the, yeah, I was just curious. Whenever somebody mm-hmm. shows me like, oh, if you just block off like this and like these, this range or whatever, and then draw the extensions and you'll see how good those work. I was like, yeah, okay, let me just go grab a random candle somewhere and let's see how good <laughs> those lines look. I'm like, yeah, lines look good because we, the way we see it, like we want to see patterns. We're going to only look at the spots where it lines up and matches perfectly yeah always always um well, we're starting to get close to the end here do we have anything else that we want to pick Biko's brain on before we wrap things up um so when you what is your um I, i'm assuming you're in trades a longer period of time capturing larger market rotations right yeah like i i think my average trade time based on sierra is around two or three hours um like if i'm like day trading futures like right now before we got onto this like i have a like i've opened a short around 49.85 on the s&p and like i haven't really done anything to it generally like this like it i opened it what like it's it has been it's been over an hour for sure right like, yeah i generally i generally hold trades like for a for a fairly long period of time unless like my stop gets hit then yeah. i don't really have a choice but like if it if it goes like I'll I'll leave it based on like general targets, um, general sentiment of the market, right? Like for me today, the way I see the market today, I should put it, is that like we've escaped a lot of the balances, right? And we've escaped an area where shorts are no longer trapped. So there's a lot of shorting that's that's pretty much taking over as markets rally, right? I'm just pinpointing spots to just open shorts with the expectation that into the end of the week, we're going to be trading lower than we are right now. So I like on Sierra, like on amp or whatever the broker I use, I'll, I'll mainly like day trade, but I'll like open swings on like interactive brokers. But generally speaking, if I'm not getting stopped out, I think the average is probably like two ish hours. Like they're, they're longer trades. Like I, I look for like, even on NASDAQ, like my stops are like three, four points on the ES looking for about like 10 to 15 on average of profit on NASDAQ. I'll use a 20, 30 point stop. And I look for like 80, a hundred plus points. Right. Mm-hmm. I think I found too, like, cause I think I kind of want to do the same as you. Like I want to hold for larger moves, uh, get a good entry and then be able to just like kind of walk away and let it work. But yeah, when I, my losers probably have around like a five minute hold period. And then the winners mm-hmm. probably have similar, something similar, like 30 minutes to two hours. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. Um, when you're in a in a trade, typically are you? Do you have a tar- obviously? I would assume the answer is yeah. 
a target in mind with regard to market sentiment, like you said, I anticipate us, um, you're looking for the market to trade lower over the next some amount of time. Do you pick like swing lows that you would like to see us take out as like a, as like some intermediate targets along the way? Like today's low, for instance, the, today's New York session low on, on ES would be a, would be a pretty saucy target. I'd be, you know, looking to, to see go if I were short that 6175 ish or whatever. Mm-hmm. Is that part of your process as you're thinking about 100%. the trade? Right. Like that, like what you said, like that swing low is pretty important. Cause like that swing low rallied this thing up like almost 30 points. Right. So it's a very effective level. There's also, I also keep in mind levels based on like order flow and profiles, like order flow levels that stick are going to be levels that are, that had noticeably either trap traders or some kind of big trader that came into the market. So like, for example, 49.55 to 58, I think a few weeks ago, there was an immense amount of sellers that were getting trapped at that level, right? They just kept shorting, 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 shorting. That created that very large barrier that pretty much sprung us into multiple all-time highs for days on end. So my the target obviously is going to be this swing low because it produced about a 30-point rally. But if we can take out that like mid-50, uh, maybe on the overnight or today into the end of the day, right, or tomorrow... This has a lot of potential for a potential like 20-ish, 30-point move further low, like to the downside, which on the S&P, right, it's a, it's a decent bit. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, for sure. No doubt. No doubt at all. Yeah, I see that too. They just, they held and held and held that back there um, through like the the entire, from 6 a.m. all the way to like the close that day. They mm-hmm. held that, that, yeah. that range to continue they just kept to bid, 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 bid. Yeah. And there was somebody there was glad to offer them. And actually goes all the way back to the to the afternoon prior. Like there was a there was a buyer down there the afternoon prior who stepped it back up. So that's that's really interesting, like market market memory. I think that's one thing that um is something that everybody, myself included, should note. When you see those kind of things, they really they should go on your chart or in your notebook. Um yeah, you, I think- you see them try to sell a level for six hours and can't, can't <laughs> <Yeah>. see, <laughs> see a move through like it's very very important because like that day like this is i think people should write it down but like this is what i was mentioning when i have like i have really good memory with numbers and like numbers just stick into my mind like i'll remember these things for like weeks on end and like where they traded what they did like but like write them down because these these things happen like very very often like on last friday there was an area at 35 36 where a lot of buyers got trapped right? That was my main target yesterday for the downside to see if it could break, right? They held it for a little scalp to the upside. But once that went, right, it was, you had a, you had a decent move that in my opinion, lasted about 30 points more to the downside. So these areas where there's massive market activity, whether they're trapped or whether they create a very large move, I think a lot of people should uh, jot down, right? Because now that we've because no one remembers what happened at 49.55, for example. No one's going to remember what happened at like 49.32 or whatever the area was, mm-hmm. right? If we're trading at 50.60, you know, these are these are things that, that you're not going to consider. But if they they should play a pretty big role in, in how you approach those levels and how you read the sentiment of the market. Like, especially now, we're coming down into those regions. We're not that far off anymore. And... If those go, people are going to be like, why the hell did we drop like 30 points? <laughs> what, what just happened? 
Uh, Vico, you want to give some plugs, man? Tell people where they can find you if they want to learn more about what you do. Yeah, actually, what we're going to be doing on YouTube is I'm going to be streaming a lot more YouTube and Twitch in the coming, uh, well, ideally indefinitely, where you can get a lot of education, free trading, uh, rooms, so on and so forth. But I'm planning to stream on like Thursdays around 3, 3.30 p.m. Eastern time. Mm -hmm. I'll be streaming like different educational topics if you guys want to drop some suggestions or whatever in any of our YouTube videos. But uh, on occasion, I'll just be streaming live trading um, on a week-to-week basis. So you can check us out at at Trade Pro Academy uh, on YouTube. Um, You can check out our website. We have a little beginner course that's in the banner. It's 100% free that breaks down futures and the basics. Oh, is that the one you just did recently or is that the one from last year it's the one well it's it's somewhat recent i think but it's it's one of those things where it actually like gives you basic understanding of like distribution theory auction market theory and like order flow if it's it's like the one i said in last time that was well worth your time especially if it's free yeah i think it hasn't it hasn't changed for a while but like it, it gives you the basics of understanding of what i do and how to read like volume profiles and and auctions realistically but you can go check that out um, but I think a big thing, if you want to come say hi on YouTube, we'll be streaming. There's going to be a lot of content on that. Uh, that's, that's something new. It came at the perfect time. The first one's going to be this week. When does this comes out on Thursday? This right? will be next Thursday. Okay. So check out the following one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, I know you probably didn't notice, but you just picked up a new follower with notice turned on. So Vanta trading is subscribed to trade pro academies. YouTube page and oh. we'll, we'll we'll we would love to jump in and and be a fly on the wall. We'll bring the crew over when you when you go live. I think there's some potential here mm-hmm. to maybe uh, do some cross stuff here. Maybe get Vico and to teach oh, a little class for us or something. Vice versa. Let me let me just figure out how streaming works, and I would for sure <laughs> love to have you guys. <laughs> All right, I'm gonna hold you to that. Uh, I, think, I think it'd be great to collab, but I just I do give me the baby yeah, steps. Yeah, yeah, baby yeah. Baby steps. Yeah, crawl, walk, run. That's what we tell everybody with trading. So yeah. All right. Well, fortunately, though, I think we've come to the end of our time with Vico today. But the fun does not have to stop for you. You can follow him on Twitter at Torio Trades. You can check out TradeProAcademy.com or their YouTube channel of the same name for just a ton of free content. Uh, if you enjoyed today's conversation, you're looking for more, check out our guest directory. You can browse all the amazing episodes we've done with TradePro Academy over the years. Be sure to have all those links in the episode description just for you. I will be back soon with another exciting episode, but till then, pillage that five-star rating like a marauding vandal sacking Rome and take care. This podcast is intended for informational and educational purposes only, does not constitute financial or investment advice, and should not be construed as such. The hosts, guests, and contributors of this podcast are not licensed financial advisors, brokers, or professionals. Any trading or investment decisions made based on the content of this podcast are solely at the listener's discretion and risk. Trading and investing in financial markets carry inherent risks and past performance is not indicative of future results. Listeners should conduct their own research and seek advice from qualified financial professionals before making any financial decisions. The views, opinions, and information shared in this podcast are those of the individual contributors and do not necessarily reflect the views or policies of the podcast creators or associated organizations. Produced by China Shop Productions.